Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. Welcome to episode 295 of Forgotten Classics. I'm Julie, and here we have a Christmas treat. You may recall some time ago, I read a sample of The Binscombe Tales by John Whitburn. I read the first story. And Mr. Whitburn was so kind as to like the reading, and I will put a link to it in the show notes for this episode so that you may listen to it also. And he liked it enough that he invited me to read another story. Well, I was thrilled, and of course, I'm not going to say no to that. And what's even more perfect, he's got a Christmas story in here. Now, If you haven't come across Binscombe Tales before, I highly encourage you to buy the book. These are a set of stories that are of the category I call Tall Tales Told in Taverns. Now, these aren't exactly people telling tall tales. The people themselves are in, (laughs) you know, kind of a tall tale as it is. And the interesting twist on this is that this town is full of people who understand that strange things happen in their town and nothing, well, a couple of the stories do have something odd happening in the tavern, but most of the time what happens is the story gets begun there or linked to another event there in the tavern, and then everybody leaves the tavern to see the place where the odd thing is happening. And when I say odd thing, think Twilight Zone. Sometimes funny, but even then with an edge to it. That's the kind of odd thing that happens in Binscombe. This story is no different. Our guide to Binscombe is Mr. Oakley, who's a fairly new resident. His mentor, you might say, or actually the center of the town, and the one who knows everything about the odd things going on, is Mr. Disvan. I don't think I need to say more than that about them. Knowing the kind of tales that these are, you can probably guess that these are more of a, hmm, the sort of a Christmas story that's an M.R. James kind of a story, a bit of a spooky tale, a bit of a ghost story. It's a Christmas tradition to tell ghost stories on Christmas Eve. I'm not sure exactly when this started, but you know, think of Charles Dickens with A Christmas Carol. And then again, as I say, if you've ever read any of M.R. James, and I just love his stuff, he used to write those so that he could read them to the schoolboys at the school he taught at before Christmas. Well, this is following that tradition. We have plenty of nice, wonderful stories. We don't have a lot of stories about Binscombe. Thank you, Mr. Whitburn, for inviting me to read another story. I appreciate it so much. I hope everybody listening has a very Merry Christmas or Happy Christmas, if you are British, and a Happy New Year. Now, let's find out how they spend Christmas Eve in Binscombe. I think you'll find it quite interesting. Dive in. Peace on earth, goodwill to most men. Same again, Mr. Disvan? 
Disvan looked into his glass and gave the question more thought than usual. Maybe not, Mr. Oakley, he said eventually. Given the season of the year, perhaps we should consider an alternative. This sounded a bit ominous. Mr. Disvan was a creature of habit like most old men and not the sort to let the occasion of Christmas Eve interfere with the orderly passage of Binscombe life. Alternative? I asked cautiously. Like what? Like going to midnight mass at St. Joseph's, for instance. This really was a bolt out of the blue. Nothing could have been further from my mind. I tried to express my stunned ox status in a reasonable fashion. Church, but you're not a Christian, are you? I mean, well, and as for me... As for you, muttered Disvan, you're what's called a yuppie. Yes, I'm aware of that. Too Portia and Pound-oriented for matters spiritual. This really took the biscuit since Disvan drove a Porsche himself, but by that stage in our acquaintance, charging him with hypocrisy was like mentioning late library books at the Nuremberg trials. So I just bit my lip, again. There were calluses there now. It'd still do you some good to go, he went on. Me, likewise. I realize I may be some distance from Christian orthodoxy. I intervened with an overdone, you're not kidding, expression. But it's a respectful distance, even so. Disvan was clutching at straws, I could tell, but he pressed gamely on. Anyhow, he said, it's sort of traditional and mm, appropriate. There was no point in asking any of this lot. Here he gestured to indicate the rest of our friends and acquaintances in the Argyle's public bar. They're neo-heathens for the most part. I thought you might be interested, though. Not wishing to disappoint, I gave the notion a quick once-over. It wouldn't hurt, I concluded. And, well, all things considered, my bachelor Christmas could do with an injection of festive jollity. Okay, I said. I'm game for a laugh. Mr. Disvan smiled, but not, I suspected, at my little joke. Oh, there'll be laughs, Mr. Oakley, he said. I can assure you, that's half the reason for going. So come on, then. Off we go. He was already on his feet and laboring into his coat. Hang about, I said, staying put in my seat. There's miles of time yet. Disvan looked very concerned. No, there isn't, Mr. Oakley. We've got to be early and get a seat at the front. But it's only ten-thirty. He shook his head and tutted. Don't you read the papers, Mr. Oakley. It's all change in the C of E nowadays. Midnight Mass starts at eleven. It had sounded like a bit of peculiarly Disvan logic, but it proved to be true. Midnight Mass, 24-12-1998, 11 o'clock p.m., stated the notice board outside the church. I accepted the anomaly, wrote it, and forgot it. Like the workings of the City of London, whence I commuted each day, life in Binscombe Village was quite often a few degrees askew from normality. The secret was not to worry about it. The bitter cold was less easy to sublimate. 
It was a brisk, frosty night, and with twenty minutes in hand before the service, I had envisaged waiting inside the church. However, Mr. Disvan restrained me from entering. Not yet, he said, barring my way. There's a bit of a practice going on. I listened carefully. Sure enough, I could hear the sound of singing coming from somewhere within. Maybe they've started early, I said. Let's go and see. Disvan was emphatic. No, he said. We must wait for the practice to end. Okay, fair enough, I thought. But at the same time, I was now very cold, increasingly fed up, and truth be told, a bit sulky with it. First, we didn't have to be late. Now, we had to hang around outside. What the hell was going on? Why was I being mucked about? By now, other people were turning up and queuing up patiently alongside us. To my surprise, and despite Disvan's opinion of them, some of the Argyle crowd, Mr. Brettwalda, Mr. Patel, Dr. Bonnie Sauter, et al., arrived. They nodded politely to everyone and waited in silence. I didn't feel so stoical and started to stamp my feet to restore life to them. It's the choir, is it? I asked, addressing no one in particular. Apparently, I was speaking Albanian. The Binskomites exchanged blank looks and then ignored me. The singing, I persisted. It's the choir, isn't it? Mmm, Disvan replied. They sound very cheerful. Yes, Mr. Oakley, they do, don't they? He seemed pleased to have something he could agree to. And why shouldn't they at this time of year? I don't recognize the tune, though. Disvan raised his eyebrows as if shocked to the core. Don't you? Dr. Bonnie Sauter disguised a snigger under the cover of a coughing fit. I was beginning to feel subtly got at. I mean, are they all little boys or something? I asked. Because the voices are very high, shrill almost. And at that precise moment, the singing rose to a crescendo and stopped. A deep silence followed. No one seemed inclined to break it. Then the church door creaked open, and a grinning face emerged from within. "'Good evening, Reverend Jagger,' said Mr. Disvan. "'Merry Christmas to you.' "'And to you, to you all!' the vicar replied. Welcome to St. Joseph's. Please come in out of the cold. We did exactly that. It was nice and warm inside, and apart from the Reverend Jagger, entirely empty. Where's the choir? I asked Mr. Disvan as we settled down in our pew. Where have they gone? What choir? He replied innocently. <sighs> I ground some enamel off my teeth and pretended to rise above it all. He was in one of his annoying moods. Disvan had insisted on a seat near the front. This happened to place us in the shadow of the pulpit and under the vicar's eye. Happily, to start with, the holy man was safely occupied browsing a great bound Bible. Looking for loopholes, whispered Mr. Disvan. But soon enough he glanced up and caught our gaze. Vickers, like policemen, made me feel guilty without cause. Hello there, Mr. Disvan, he boomed. Glad you could make it. Good year? Middling. And you? Could be worse. Looks like you'll have a fair crowd in tonight. They both surveyed the rapidly filling church. 
It was true. The front portion, at least, was getting to be fully occupied. Oh, yes, Jagger agreed. And there'll be more before kickoff. You get all types at this service. This seemed to amuse them, and they had a swift laugh in from which I was excluded. Of course, the vicar continued. I hope there's no trouble, but there always is. The times we live in, said Disvan sadly, but he was still smiling. Yes, absolutely, echoed Jagger, also beaming brightly. Still, <laughs> it's an ill wind, eh? With that, he returned to his reading. Trouble, I hissed. What trouble? Mr. Disvan didn't seem very alarmed. Well, you know how it is, Mr. Oakley. Midnight Mass attracts these types straight out of the pub. Like us, you mean? No, I mean drunks and yobos and leggerlouts come to lark about and disrupt the service. Oh. This didn't sound very promising. I don't like close physical contact, saving the sexual kind, particularly in the context of brawling with drunks. People had continued to stream in, including, puzzlingly enough, the choir, who'd arrived in the ones and twos and gone off to get changed. The front four or five pews were now jammed. The rest were much more thinly dotted with worshippers, anonymous latecomers, heavily wrapped up against the chill. I was absorbed in staring at a crucifix, and had calculated a 46% chance against God's existence when the service suddenly started. The Reverend Jagger slammed his Bible shut, and the organist abruptly piled into O Little Town of Bethlehem as the clock in the tower above began to strike eleven. Everyone bar me seemed prepared, whereas I had to leap to my feet, grab a hymn book, and desperately flick through it, looking for the right page. I never did find it, and had to hmm along instead. Then we all sat down again. Dearly beloved, said the Reverend Jagger, and so on. It went along painlessly enough until the sermon. At that point, the door crashed open, and a rabble of riffraff sauntered in. They came and sat uncomfortably close to us, only a couple of pews back, and started to make loud, inappropriate comments. One of them blew a raspberry. At least that's what I hope it was. And their own incense of beer and brute wafted before them. My back felt horribly vulnerable, and I heard Mr. Disvan sigh. Air came an East Enders coached voice from their general direction. Look at that poofed arg. Up to then, I'd not dared to look round, but instinct took over. The yobos were being effortlessly hauled away by members of the congregation, their cries of protest or worse cut off by hands clamped over their mouths. It was a very neat, indeed surgical, operation. I've never heard of a church with bouncers before. I whispered to Disvan. He smiled wisely. No, these came with the church. But I don't recognize any of them. You wouldn't, Mr. Oakley. They're from before your time. Pardon? Nothing. But why are they taking the yobs down into the crypt? Why not just chuck them out? Disvan smiled again, but said nothing. And cried the Reverend Jagger, distracting me. There you see proof with your own eyes. The Lord will provide us with our daily bread wherever we are, whatever we may be. The congregation tittered politely, 
but I couldn't see the joke. It was all a bit puzzling. And was that someone pouring water down in the crypt, or sort of gobbling noises? The same process happened a few more times. Groups of undesirables fell in the church, misbehaved, and were duly dragged away, not to be seen again. It must be getting awfully cramped in that crypt, I thought. Naturally, I was full of admiration for the dark and silent bouncers. They appeared to be absolutely fearless and were doing a great job overpowering the opposition and then keeping them out of the way. My only cavil was that some of them were taking too much interest in innocent little me. Every time I looked round, it seemed that five or six pairs of eyes were fixed unflinchingly upon me. I found myself trying to act as respectable as possible, visibly joining in the prayers and shouting out the responses. The final incident was when some tipsy adolescents chuntered in and started playing the fool. They, too, sat not far back from Mr. Disvin and me, and their shrieks and catcalls sounded much too close for comfort. Accordingly, when a powerful gust of wind raised the hair on the back of my head, I suspected a prank on their part and turned to protest. I was just in time to see some Levi 501s and a pair of trainers disappear through the trap door into the belfry. It couldn't have been a bat carrying him, I insisted to myself. Bats just don't grow that big. The remaining youngsters were still in a state of shock, staring open-mouthed up at the roof. Kennel, said one, but the rest were struck dumb. It didn't save them. They too were manhandled or possibly not manhandled. My suspicions were already alive and twitching. Away down to the crypt. Right then, said Jagger, let our voices, like our brother just now, rise up to the Lord, hymn number thirty, while shepherds watched their flocks by night. I sang extra loud to drown out the eating noises I could hear coming from the crypt and directly above my head. Absorbed in some pretty pressing thoughts, I still tried to pay at least outward attention to the service. We came to that point where everyone has to shake hands whilst trying not to look embarrassed. It was the chance I'd been waiting for. The Reverend Jagger bowled down to us and muttered something about peace being with me. I felt far from at peace and held on to his proffered hand. Pointing discreetly in the direction of the crypt, I said, Um, Vicar, what is, uh... You know. Oh, that, he replied warmly. Don't worry about it. Mr. Oakley, you're in no danger. But most old churches and graveyards have them, Mr. Oakley, unquiet and unforgiven spirits. The problem is they just get terribly... Hungry, suggested Mr. Disvin. Jagger nodded. Or empty as the centuries go by. The way I see it. You can either exercise them or put them to some good use. A sense of humanist outrage made me open my mouth, but nothing came out. It's a good deal, Disvan whispered to me, and Jagger smiled modestly. In return for no trouble at other times, on Christmas Eve we let them have a little <laughs> feast. I think of it as Christian charity, said the vicar. They've got enough problems, poor things, without me imposing starvation as well. I mean, even the church mouse in Betjeman's poem got a slap-up meal once a year at Harvest Festival. Binscombe's deceased black sheep have their party at Christmas. That's the only difference. 
You wouldn't begrudge them, Mr. Oakley, if you knew how much they look forward to it. We heard their celebration before we came in, said Disvan. Yes, said Jagger bashfully. They like to put on a little thank you concert for me. So sweet, really. Whoops, we're keeping everyone waiting. Must be off. The service went on. As it did, Mr. Disvan observed I wasn't my usual happy self. Oh, come on, Mr. Oakley, he said. Don't be so po-faced. Where's your Christmas spirit? Everything's got to live, even if it's not alive. I fought the temptation, but couldn't resist glancing round. My gaze hit one of the shrouded figures at the rear. Before I could swivel back to safety, he or she or it noted my inattention and flashed a yellow, ravenous smile. Now, said the Reverend Jagger, we'll sing hymn number 390, Firmly I Believe and Truly. I sang along and sincerely hoped I was convincing. <laughs>